Bible Study Podcast, Episode 62. This is the 11th episode in a series on the Book of Romans I'm titling Christianity 101. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. Today we pick up the study of Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 8. Last week we covered through verse 17, and so today we'll pick up starting in verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. One of the interesting things about this section of Romans is there is something revealed here about the effect of the fall of man on all of creation. Now, if we go back to the account in Genesis, we would see that God creates the world and he puts it under the stewardship of Adam and Eve. And so, with the fall of Adam and Eve, all of creation, it says, is subjected to frustration. So, all of creation is out of whack because our relationship with God is out of whack. It, so it says the creation itself waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. That all of creation is groaning and waiting for this restoration to be complete in the second coming of Jesus, in the judgment day, and the everything being put right again. And creation, obviously, and we're personifying creation at this point, but it didn't choose to fall. It was affected by the fall of man. And we see that, obviously, in things like how are we stewards of the environment and those sort of things that are fairly obvious. But it's interesting that it says that what has happened to us has affected creation as well. And that creation itself is in hope from liberation of its bondage to decay. That the death that came through sin extends to creation. And it Creation itself, it says, will be brought into glorious freedom of the children of God. It's just an interesting passage as it looks at the fall in a different way and from a different point of view. So creation itself is groaning as in pains of childbirth. And that we also then are groaning ourselves. We also are longing for something to happen. And pains of childbirth, obviously, if you have been through childbirth or if you know someone who has... It is not, as far as I could tell from my point of view, a pleasant experience, but it is at least a productive experience. Uh, That is our hope, is that you go through that and then it's forgotten in the joy of birth. That again, that we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly, we're waiting for something. We're going through suffering now. And then remember, that's how Paul started this. I consider our present sufferings 
not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. So it's that analogy then of childbirth. I consider our present sufferings, as bad as they may be, to be worth it compared to what's going to happen. We ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, or sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. And so this would be, again, looking towards the last day, looking for that time when Jesus comes again, and there is that final putting to death of death. For in this hope we were saved. And then Paul says, if we hope for it, we don't already have it, but instead we wait patiently for it. And then he goes on to say in verse 26, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Now, these particular verses are used certainly in some churches to talk about a gift of tongues. I don't necessarily think that that's what this is talking about here. I I don't have any trouble with that interpretation, but the important thing from this particular paragraph here is that the Spirit is interceding for us, and that when we don't even know what to pray for, the Spirit is providing words before God groans that words cannot express, that the Spirit is in us, knows what we need, searches our hearts, and knows the mind of the Spirit, and intercedes with and intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. There's a wonderful promise in this verse here that even when we don't know what to pray for, that the Spirit is already praying on our behalf. And then we get this section here at the end of chapter 8 that is one of my favorite sections in the Bible. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. That first set of verses there is sometimes read as, in other translations, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. The NIV, which is the version that I've been reading, the New International Version, translates that a little differently, and my understanding is this is a more appropriate translation given the Greek that this is the original language that Paul's letter was written in. So listen carefully to the difference, and we know that in all things, God works for good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This says that God, one, is at work. It doesn't say that all things are good, everything that happens to us is good. It says that in all circumstances, in all things, God is there and God is working for good. So even when we make bad decisions, even when we end up in the wrong place, it's not that that is good, it's not that that even works for good, but that God is working for good in all circumstances. Again, for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. There is an intentionality in the language that is used here, those who've been called. And it also talks here about predestination, and predestination is sometimes something that the church has had trouble with and the church has struggled with in various places. But we should be aware that Romans talks both about predestination and also talks about us having choices and free will. And I think that those are not ideas that are mutually exclusive, but they certainly seem to be from our point of view. 
But have you ever known someone and you knew them so well you could predict what they would say in a circumstance? I remember when I was a kid, I knew my mother this way. She was very predictable. You could, you know, predict in a given circumstance, this is the way that she will react. And I think God knows us even better than that. And so God can tell how we will react, can plan for a reaction, but doesn't necessarily choose for a reaction. He's not controlling us like puppets on a string, but God is making his plans. So we get that God is in all things working for good, and we also get that God has foreknew, and he predestined. So God has a longer-term plan for us and for creation and for the church. And those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. That his intention, as God restores our relationship with him, to then not leave us as he found us, but to change us to be more like Jesus. And those he predestined, he calls. Those he calls, he justifies. And those he justifies, he glorifies. And this is basically God has a plan. He called us, and then he justified us through Jesus. He made us right with him. And then he intends to bring us on to glorification. And that's the work of the Spirit. We call that sanctification, or being made holy. And what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I almost want to just stop there and not try and comment on these words. I find them so wonderful, so hopeful, so glorious. But let's look at them just a little bit here, even though we're running late on this podcast. If God is for us, who can be against us? Not that there isn't anything that will get in the way. That Not that there's anything that won't oppress us. There's all sorts of things mentioned here. Trouble and hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, sword. But there's nothing that will stand against God. There's nothing that can stand up to him. And then it also says, who will bring a charge against God's chosen? If we're made right with God, then who can condemn us? Paul is talking here about not an easy life. He says, we face death all day long, considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all of these things, we're more than conquerors. Nothing can get in the way of God's love for us. Death, life, angels, demons, present, future, powers, height, depth, nothing can get in the way of God's love for us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are the words that I really wanted to get to 
when I decided that we ought to spend some time studying the book of Romans. We started looking at sin and this state of brokenness that we all share. Then we looked at what Jesus did, and we get here to Romans 8 to God loves us so much that there's nothing that can stand up to him, that there's nothing that can separate us from that love. With that, we'll bring this episode of the Bible Study Podcast to a close. If you have any questions, feel free to send them to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com or leave a comment at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And there's no mountain that's too high, even if it touched the sky. And there's no valley that's too low. There's no place that I can go That the love of God won't find me there Oh, 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 I am convinced That nothing can separate us from the love of God And I am convinced That nothing can separate us from the love of God And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God No power, no principality can keep the love of God from me No angel above and no demon below can stop the love that God will show I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Oh, 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 I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither death nor life, what was or will be, can keep the love of God from me. I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Oh, oh, oh. I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. There's no mountain that's too high, even if it touched the sky. 
And there's no valley that's too low And there's no place that I can go And that the love of God won't find me there Oh, 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 I am convinced That nothing can separate us from the love of God And I am convinced That nothing can separate us from the love of God And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God Hi friend, are you stressed? maybe even worried about so many needs around you that you've forgotten you are worth taking care of too. Well, I'm Bonnie Gray, the host of Breathe, the Stressless Podcast. I want to invite you to join me as I share practical tips based on science, inspired by God's Word, to help you spark joy and restore God's peace and love to your soul. Subscribe now and go to lifeaudio.com.